everyone. Thanks for tuning into the message podcast of French Church. My name is Alessandra. I'm one of the team members here, and we're so glad that you're joining us. It's been really encouraging to hear stories from people all over the country and the world who are listening in. We really hope that our messages are resonating with you. We also wanted to say thank you to those who are contributing to Friends Church. All of the things we're able to do, it's because of people who donate regularly. Even small, consistent gifts help a lot. If you haven't had the chance yet to give, I would encourage you to maybe think about doing that, especially if it's been beneficial in your own journey. To do that, it's really easy. Just go to our website, friendschurch.ca, and click on the Donate tab, or download our Friends Church app and click on the Give tab. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this week's message. We're uh, start. Well, no, we're not starting. We're in the middle of a series we've we've called "Revisited." It's one that we do pretty much every year, and it gives us an opportunity to kind of go back over uh, the messages that we've done in the past and pick out ones that we'd like to have a do-over on. Some of them, uh, so much has changed since we originally gave a message that we're going, man, that thing needs to be updated. That one needs and you know kind of be brought into the new age but i want to do one this morning um i don't want to change a lot too at all in fact uh, from the most part this thing is pretty much intact from from the time that i first gave this message what's mind-blowing to me is i've given this message in a number of different ways but there was one memorable time when I gave this message, and it was to a group of pastors. I don't know, it was about 500 pastors at a large church conference. This was back in 2011, and it was a pretty momentous time um, for me personally because so much had changed in my world, in my thinking toward church and whatever, and this was kind of telling a bit of the Friends Church story. And so for those of you who have been around for a long time, you will remember parts of this. And I'm hoping that it does for you what it did for me when I read it again. Because it, it reignited kind of the heart of what this thing was about. And for you, those of you who are new here, who maybe have never heard this before, this is really important information if you've begun calling Friends Church home. Because this is really one of our founding stories. It's part of who we are. It's really our DNA. So, a little history. I, I grew up in church, like literally spent my entire life in a, in a traditional church environment where we went minimum three times a week. We had services two on Sundays, so morning and night. You guys are getting off so lucky, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> And we'd have a midweek service. As I grew older, there would be a youth event on Friday nights in addition to the Wednesday night. Um, I don't know, I think I was around 10 when my mom enrolled us in a religious private school. So, I mean, I, when I say I grew up in church, man, I tell you, I've done my time, okay? I'm surprised I'm still alive. I put in a lot of time, and I look back now, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but a large part of the activity 
that we were involved in as kids in church was really strategic. I mean, if they could keep us in the walls of that church, that meant the chances of us getting into other stuff pretty unlikely elsewhere. And that was kind of a model of the community. It's just church became our lives. Thinking behind it was that, you know, if you could just keep people focused, keep people around godly, spiritual stuff, the distractions and the temptations of the dark world around us wouldn't get a hold of us. There was this fear that the non-spiritual society around us would contaminate us, whether it be the music, the TV, the partying, the drugs, the alcohol, just friendships with non-spiritual people, man. That'll all, it'll contaminate you. This is what I grew up believing. The church was like this refuge, kind of, if you will, like a bunker that was fortified. And you'd run into it and the doors would close and it could protect you from all that darkness. You'd only venture out when you had to. You know, throughout the week, yeah, sure, you had to work or you had to go to school or you had to do some of these different things, but man, then there'd come these moments you could run into the refuge and the doors would close and you could be safe and you could be, feel good because you're with spiritual people talking about spiritual things. Growing up, we were taught that the object of Christianity was to come to a point of faith, belief. Maybe for some of you, you grew up like this. You're kind of going, uh-huh, I know that story. You know, we were taught to learn and embrace certain beliefs that our church held. These beliefs were everything. If you could, if you could tie into them, if you could embrace them as your own, you would become what was known as a believer or a Christian. You were a Christian because you believed certain things. And those certain things that you believed, once you believed them, it was like there was this spiritual transaction where all of a sudden some kind of barcode got slipped under your skin that one day when your time ran up, you died. In the, in the angelic or in the spiritual realm, someone was going to scan a barcode and they go, oh, I see you. You're good. And you could go on to be with God forever in heaven. But if that scanner kind of went over and it wasn't registering, there was a really bad news for you. You weren't going to heaven. The option then was quite warm, okay? It was much less desirable. Over the years, I embraced those teachings, those beliefs. And I lived with a level of urgency. I bought in. I thought, I don't want people to have to have their scanner miss them. I thought about family and friends. So I devoted my life to helping people insert the barcode, helping kids. I got involved as a youth pastor. And over the years, I helped Lots of kids come to a point of faith where I could call them a believer. And, and, and when they, once they believed, then we'd baptize them and fully immerse them in water and we'd celebrate because we knew one day when their time ran up, they would be safe. 
And in the meantime, it was just a matter of bringing them into the youth bunker and keep them from screwing up their lives, doing something stupid. In 1997, when we stepped out to start Friends Church, it was a buddy of mine. We were both pastors at this church. and We wanted to step out and make the bunker available to a wider group of people. Most of the people that were finding the church that we were part of at that point were already believers. We said, we've got to find people who aren't believers. That's the key. So we started Friends Church, and really it was, it was the bunker mentality as well. Only now we were just trying to spread our wings, trying to invite people who had never heard the beliefs that we believed were important. And so we made church kind of a razzmatazz, lots of exciting servant coffee. Make it not feel like church, get them in, and then subtly teach them the things they needed to insert the barcode. By certain measures and outcomes, especially in church world, what we were doing was becoming very successful. We grew from this little church plant to multiple services on, say, college campus. Hundreds started attending. Our staff started growing. We outgrew state, so we moved to the Red and White Club at the McMahon Stadium. Helping people who didn't fit church come in and believe the right things so that one day they would go to heaven when they died. That was the end game. People were buying into the beliefs. We'd have these baptism parties, bring in a portable hot tub, and we'd baptize so many people, and the people would celebrate. It was like, we're winning as a church. But something in the middle of all that seemed a little off. And it was hard because I felt like we were doing the thing that we were supposed to be doing. But, you know, we were always kind of teaching from the Bible. And and, and we had such a strong knowledge of the Bible. When I would read the stories of Jesus, I couldn't help but sometimes struggle with the difference between what we were building and the, the cumulative effect of of this church that we were building and the picture and the things that Jesus was constantly talking about. There seemed to be a discrepancy. Jesus was always talking about loving our neighbor. He would just summarize things. He would just say, love God and love your neighbor. Let's make it easy. He would would say these little things and yet what I was watching in our community and even what I was feeling was a, a measure of disdain for those that wouldn't believe what we were believing, for those outside the church walls. I felt a deep love for those people who are in, who are inside. And I watched it in other people. As we reached further outside the walls, people were coming in of all types and sizes and lifestyles and you name it. And they'd come in and they'd go, yeah, I don't believe that, but can I still belong? And, and I'd watch people go, ah, uh, This is who I am, and this is my partner. Can we still come? Uh, I watched within our community this reaction to people who didn't fit perfectly that was very unloving. 
and I was guilty too. But something couldn't reconcile with this picture. Somewhere in the middle of that, all that kind of struggle, I was serving on the board of this sport organization in town here. And and part of the responsibility was volunteering at a casino. And I remember this one day I came in to volunteer. It was one of the first times I had volunteered at a casino. Casinos were a bad place in my day growing up. So there I am, and one of the guys who was on the board with me, he shows up. And I said, Patty, you're not, you're not volunteering, did you? You're volunteering. He says, yeah, I was supposed to volunteer yesterday. Today was a Monday. Yesterday was a Sunday. I couldn't volunteer on a Sunday because I was busy. But he's like, yeah, I was supposed to. He said, I came out, and my truck was dead. My battery was dead. I wouldn't start. I said, oh, you're kidding. He says, Jeff, I got to tell you this story. I went running in thinking, oh, I got to call my friend quick and get him over here. He says, I couldn't get through. No one is picking up. God is the answering machine. He says, I came running back out and my neighbor is in the car. His car is running. I was like, oh, thank God. He says, I went running over to my neighbor. I said, buddy, my truck won't start. Just wondering if you could just give me a quick boost. And my neighbor looked at me and he said, I am so sorry but we are late for church. And I'm just literally waiting for my wife to come out. And then we got a jet. She's like, so that's a no? (laughs) He's like, I'm sorry. So as he's telling me this story, we're in this volunteer room and everyone is listening. Three of the people in that room knew I was a pastor. And I could see them just cringing. This guy looks at me, he says, Jeff, hey, I'm no religious guy, but isn't that kind of missing the point? I would have these moments like that where I just feel sick because that was the kind of Christianity I was promoting. I would watch some people coming into the church in that day, and it was just like, they're like, what do you got for us today? I, I, people would be joking, but they'd say, you better be on today. You better have your game, man. I'm looking for, I got so-and-so here. It was just like, come on, hit me. It was, it, it was like we were building these people that were so dependent on their Sunday fix. It was like their place was so, such a consumeristic spirituality. It was like, come on, this is, this is for us now. Give it to us. And meanwhile, I'd be thinking about some of the things that Jesus would say. Like there's this story that he told in Matthew 25. It's a parable he told of, of a king who had looked out at this large group of people that were standing in front of him. And he began looking at them and saying, you, over here, you, I want you in this group here, you, over here, this group, you, in that group. And he started separating. This is what Jesus said. He said this king began separating this group like like sheep and goats. He used agricultural terms back in that time. 
but he's like, he's separated in two groups. And then, and then he looks over to one side of the room and he says, I've got great news for you. There is a reward waiting for you people because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was in prison and you came and visited me. I, had, I was naked and you gave me your clothes. Jesus says that group of people are sitting there going, I didn't do that. I don't remember, but I don't mind if he thinks I did. Funny, someone speaks up and says, sir, I think you got it wrong. We didn't do that for you. I didn't. He says, no, no, no. When you did it for the least, when you did it for that down and outer over there, when you did it for that single mom, when you, when you helped out that family, surprise, I noticed. And it's like you did it for me. Then he looked at the other crew and he says, I was hungry and you didn't give a shit. As a pastor, I was nervous. In fact, I wasn't the only one. Our team we're looking at the cumulative effect of what we were doing and going, something's off, something's off. It's like Jesus in this story just says, don't you freaking miss the point. This thing is about loving your neighbor. If you read the stories of him living and teaching, they're almost all outside the temple or the bunker. Almost all of them. He's rubbing shoulders with people who would have never been allowed in the bunker. He's helping these kinds of people. And they were all, the church people were always pissed off at him. And he's going, this is the freaking point. One time he caught a few of his men arguing about who should be kind of Jesus' right-hand man. Who, who would be the most important? And it's always hard to, to interpret tone. But he stopped them dead in that argument. And he went, whoa, 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 you missed the point. You want to be great in my kingdom? You want to be measured as something of significance in what I'm building? The greatest in my kingdom will be the servants of all. There's no insider status. There's no VIPs in my clan. No, those who work in this thing that I'm building are putting a towel over their arm and they're serving their fellow man. He looked at me and he said, this is not all about you. Another thing that was so disturbing to me about the way that Jesus taught was that he seemed so 
unconcerned about right and wrong belief. Like, as we grew up, that was the game. You had to get your beliefs right. Churches split over wrong beliefs. You don't get it right, man. There's hell to pay. Someone came up to Jesus one day and said, we are worried about the false teachers around here. We're having a tough time telling them. You know what Jesus said? Do you think he said, okay, here, here's belief number one. If they don't believe this, don't trust them. And, and they have to believe this. No, he didn't do any of that. He said, just watch how they live. He says, they're like trees. A bad tree can't produce good fruit, nor can a good tree produce bad fruit. Watch how they live. Now, I don't know about you, but this is problematic for the person that believes. If you don't believe this, there's hell to pay. Because you know what? Some of the most loving, caring people in my life have been people who don't line up with the same religion I'm a part of. And by Jesus' standards, something, <laughs> he's, he's cracking the door pretty wide now. If you're a loving person, he's going, you trust that person. All of these things culminating to just this gnawing headache in the back of my mind going, what are we building here? More and more I'd hear Patty's stories in the casino. This quote from Gandhi, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. The more we reflected on these things, the, obvious, the more obvious it became that we had somehow maybe lost the point in what we were doing. We needed to shift what had become a very egocentric, self-centered type of spirituality that was all about me. Give me, make my life better. Take care of me. Keep a spot for me in the bunker. Screw those people. They don't want to believe. That's their problem. Shut that door. To this other-centric way of being in the world that replaces the middle with others. spirituality where you can consider more perspectives and points of view than just our own. Sometimes being willing to give up what is most important for us for the greater good. It was right in the middle of that we began making some big changes. We were tired of this consumeristic bunker-style spirituality. We said we want we want this place to be other-centric. We want it to make a difference in our world. We've carved out a value. We said it this way. We said we value action-oriented spirituality. We believe our spirituality is, it exists. It is expressed in our everyday actions, not by the beliefs we have screwed up in our head. Actions that lead to a better world whether that be physically, emotionally, I don't care in what way you make your world better, that is the spirituality. That's the action-oriented spirituality we value. Quit talking and just live. Let your, let your tree produce some beautiful fruit and may it benefit the people around you. It's right around that time that we wrote a story called The Castle and the Well. 
For the benefit of my message this morning, I'm going to call it the bunker in the well. It's about a landowner. And if you haven't heard this, I know many of you who have been a part of our community, you heard this to nauseam. We told the story again and again and again to pound it into our culture, into our DNA, about a landowner who discovered a natural spring of water on her land. So she builds this well. It was a spring coming out of the, the ground. So she build a well to be able to capture it easily. People heard about this, this well on her land and began asking her if they could have some of her water. And she was generous. She says, absolutely, come on, help yourself. She was so generous. She never turned one person away. And as a result of her generosity, the entire village surrounding area prospered. It was beautiful what was created as a result of her generosity. But business called her and her family away. And so she didn't sell the land, but she put the well in, in the hands of some community leaders. And said, take care of this. Steward this while we're away. Over time, fighting and arguing broke out about the well. Some were concerned, some were taking too much water. Some were, were arguing that certain people didn't deserve it. They were less deserving. Some people were just freaked out going, look at we got to ration this because we're going to run out. And over time, over years, they began building walls around this well to be able to protect and guard who could come in, who could use it, how much they could have. And as those walls came up, less and less people got access. And the surrounding village began to suffer. You, you take that and you just kind of amplify it over the years. And that countryside became a drastic, dark reflection of what it once was. So many people struggling. Meanwhile, the chosen ones inside the bunker had all they would ever be able to drink and use. Word got back to the landowner. This is years later. She, she now sent her adult son to investigate. She said, I heard some disturbing news. Go and check that out. He arrives on the countryside and almost can't believe. He can't recognize. It is such a dry and barren land, so far from the memories of his youth. He came to the place where the well was to find this bunker. He bangs on the door. Finally, someone answers it. He says, who are you? He says, I'm the landowner's son. And where is the well? says, it's in here. What do you need? He says, this, this was never what my mother's plans were for any of this. Never. This, this, this was, and so he began talking to the people inside the well, inside the bunker, going, you, you got this wrong. This was not supposed to be this. One time, and he began telling stories of the way it once was in the world around them. He assured them there is enough water for everyone. And there was people inside that bunker who believed him. And they began opening up the doors. They began grabbing pails and, 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 and pulling it out and offering it to people outside. 
they began spreading the word to people around the countryside. Come on in. We've got water now. Come on in and help yourself. It was very exciting what began to happen. But there were some inside that bunker that were not happy about this whole thing. And they conspired and had the landowner's son killed. The long story made short is that everything went back the way it was. The bunker all sealed up. Few chosen people enjoying all the water while everyone around had very little. We, tell, we told the story again and again. We ended it right there. To say we cannot join in on a long line of ancestors who have been bunker builders and water hoarders and belief defenders. We cannot do that. We think we're fearful that it misses the point. We will not send our, our, set our end game as beliefs. We will be an action-oriented community that is going to take water to their world. We told people that the end game is about enlarging our capacity to carry water. It's about finding what our unique kinds of water are as individuals and then devoting our lives, portions of our lives, to being able to give back, to serve, to love, to make our world a bit better. By water, some a lot of people would ask, you know, so like, what do you mean by water? Water is freaking anything that you have, that, that you have disposal to, whether it's your talents, your ability, your resource, anything that can make a difference in your world. So we began peppering our community every Sunday. What's your water? What have you found? What can you give? Over the years, we've watched people find their causes find their spots that they take water to on a regular basis. Some have volunteered, some have given resources, some have just invested in family and neighbors. Collectively, we said, we, we may be only able to do little things as individuals, but I tell you, collectively, you watch us go. We, inv- we uh, adopted a whole village down in Guatemala, 10 years we invested over $360,000. We built water infrastructure to get clean water into this village that was one of the worst chronic malnutrition areas literally on the planet. Get them, let's get them clean water and then let's get the dirty water out. Let's build a, some classrooms. Let's, let's improve their medical facilities. Let's teach them how to eat healthy. We just, we just with the help of their people, we provided the infrastructure. Another time, a group of people from within our community said, we can sponsor a a refugee family from war-torn Syria. And collectively started giving money, but this group of people from within our community took that on to the point where they're still calling and saying, hey, there's one of the family members that could use this. Just as last week, they're invested in this Syrian family, seeing them restored to some level of normalcy here in Calgary. We've been building homes down in Mexico every year, taking teens down. Built, I, I don't know how many homes. 
How many families now are living permanent, secure residences because of the giving of people who said, I want to be a water carrier. I could go on and on about the collective efforts, but the individual efforts, the ways that people would just give unselfishly of themselves, different little ways where no one would ever see or know. It was beautiful. And you know what was beautiful? It's because it was changing their lives. You began to see this love that they had. As a leader, we knew we were on to gold when we began to see the heart change of our people, the inclusiveness of our people. People, no matter what stripe or shape or size or orientation, you name it, they'd walk in and we'd watch our community embrace them. We'd go, oh, okay, we're getting closer. We're entering a new era now, a post-pandemic era. We've been locked down. You'll notice if you've been listening carefully over this last year and a bit, We've talked a lot about the things we can control. We've talked about our own attitudes in our home, relationships. Talked about stuff that can be done within our own small little circles, but a new day is, is arriving now where you're going to be rubbing shoulders with a lot more people. You're stepping out of your own self-appointed bunkers. And there are spiritual opportunities all over to take water. And without apology, I'm going to ask you to pick up a freaking pail. This is the game. This is great. This is a spirit. This is not a bunker. Let's get that, st- let's get that straight. We are not trying to monopolize your life or your time as a church organization. We want your lives spent outside the bunker. You come in for a workout. Why do you work out on a Sunday morning so that you can get out there and freaking carry Buckets. Some of you came in and you're capable of right now of holding a cup and taking a cup full of water. But some of you have been in this game for a while. Some of you have been training in the gym for a long time. And you're, your capacity, you're carrying, you're carrying gallons and gallons of water. You're capable of it. Some of you are driving tankers. <laughs> you're backing your truck up and some people don't know what, they, what hit them when you unload your, your water. And they look at that and they go, holy. What is with that person? What is with those people? They're not like the kind of Christians, spiritual people I know. That is the point. So you won't hear us talking a lot about heaven and hell around here. Because for one, we don't know exactly how it works. I haven't been on the other side. You can watch movies. Someone will tell you what goes on on the other side, I guess. There's someone that knows. But I know this. We can create heaven on earth. Jesus was teaching his people to pray. He said, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're bringing heaven to earth in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. And you've got an opportunity to be a part of it. I'm going to invite you this week to think hard and long about what your water is. Because you've got water. You've got lots of water capacity. 
maybe you might want to ask yourself, of all the resources, all the time, all the energy, all the money, all the things at your disposal, there's your full pie. What percentage of that would you be willing to give away? And, and let me just tell you, not all roads lead back to Friend Church. Oh, we'd love you to help, help out volunteer here. We have lots of opportunities. But I'm telling you, you need to embrace the water that you were given. There are organizations, there's people in your life right now perhaps need a cup of water. May you this week pick up the torch again of water carrying if you never let it down. And may we be as a community, this collective well, that is just continually welcoming people in and and giving stuff away that will change their lives and their world. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says, it's a counterintuitive principle. He who wants to hold on to his life, that wants to hoard the stuff, they're actually going to lose it. But he who is willing to give his life away, those are the ones who find it. You want to find life? Pick up a pail. All right, I'm done. I want to uh, invite, we're gonna, we get to close on a great song this morning. I said, I said, Alessandra, I need, a, I need a song that talks about what we're talking about today. So we got some collected soul about to go down. So why don't you just enjoy the music and, and may you this week, may you find your water, maybe you f- just find one expression. Take it seriously, hey? Yeah.